I remember um, one of God's works of grace in my life is in the area of parenting. And I consider it a work of grace because um, when my first was born, I remember just this sense of God giving me a passion to be a great and a godly parent. And um, shortly thereafter, one of the most influential books uh, related to parenting in my life is a book uh, called The Blessing. I don't know, it's by Smalley and Trent. Um, anyhow, Lu is Lucy Kate here today? Lucy, I'm sorry, I don't mean, y'all are like throwing me off here. I didn't know, I haven't even seen Lucy Kate in person. I'm sorry, I've got to stay focused on the sermon. But anyhow, um, speaking of parenting, the blessing. Um, I just remember just what a, a powerful uh, statement it was to me as a young dad. And the books by Smalley and Trent, uh, they... They based the book on the Jewish practice of the father blessing the children. We see this scripturally in the book of Genesis, in uh, Isaac's life. We see it in Jacob's life, who becomes Israel. And we see Israel as a father even blessing uh, his children um, I would encourage you. I know it's an older book on parenting, but I believe it's so powerful. Uh, the Smalley and Trent talk about five aspects to the blessing. If we are to bless our children, and it, and it ties into the sermon this morning is the reason I'm bringing this up. But you can also take it just as a parenting note and not listen to the rest of the sermon if you want to, okay? That's all right. This is going to be worth your time today, the blessing. But Smalley and Trent talk about five aspects of the blessing. One of those would be a meaningful touch. And that means you grab the little, the little children's, their, like I say, their little chubby little cheeks, and you say, Daddy has something very significant to say to you. If your kids have chubby cheeks. <laughs> meaningful touch. And I, hey, can we put these five on the screen? Um, Meaningful touch. The second is uh, a spoken word. The blessing must be spoken. As a parent, you need to say these things to your children. Uh, the, second as the third aspect of the blessing is the words need to be attaching high value to that child. You tell them that they're loved, that they're valued. Um, all of these things. Uh, the fourth aspect, which brings us to the connecting point to the sermon this morning, is picturing a special future. Um, I, I, won't, I won't get into what I would have said to my kids, um, but it's very significant as a parent that in the midst of kids lives and many times these are spoken uh, the blessing is given at a time say adolescence when they're struggling uh, maybe on so many fronts but it is a moment that you say as a parent I want you to know 
that what God has for you is going to be so incredible. And you just begin to project that uh, for your children. And, and what it does is it helps them to take their eyes off of the present, which we just tend to live in this moment. And we think this is life and this is all there is to life. It's not. And as a parent, you are to have perspective and you want to say, but this, as you follow God, God's going to do some incredible things in your life. And you begin to, you begin to paint that future that's going to be good. And you're going to see the blessing of God. And the, the fifth element of the blessing uh, is an act of commitment, which means that you're not just speaking words, but you're saying mom and dad are going to be a part of you seeing God do in your life what God wants to do. Um, so if we just pause right now, parenting, that message is very significant you ought to pass this, the blessing down to your child. Grab their chubby little cheeks. <laughs> Speak the word. Attach high value. Picture a special future. Uh, and let them see then in your, the actions of your life, your af active commitment uh, to see that uh, come about. What I realize and what I want us to get down to today as we come back to the book of Zechariah is that we have a heavenly father who blesses us. Uh, that's where it comes from. In fact, we as parents are simply agents of the heavenly father. Um. Uh, We learned about this in, in life group, at least adult life group, at least in my li adult life group, I don't know. But we see that it started in, in Genesis 12 with the covenant relationship that God established with, with Abram. Uh, and we read this in our life group, but um, it says in Genesis 12, Verses 1 through 3 says, Now the Lord God said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Heavenly Father established a covenant relation with Abraham that extended uh, through, through the Jewish people all the way to the day that we will come to for where we are in Zechariah 8 today. God's going to say, no, I have a relationship with you. Um, and, and God did that in His choosing. And I know we struggled in our life group to go, why? Why out of the blue would God call Abram from Ur of the Chaldeans. What in the world? But here's, here's the reality. Why in the world would God reach down and show His mercy on Daryl Smith? 
There's no explanation for that except that God chose. And God initiates that relationship. And the Heavenly Father in Genesis 12 says to Abram this blessing, this covenant relationship that we've talked about in the past that includes people. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land. But really where we come down to today, he said, no, I'm going to bless you. And we've just got to think for just a minute of what did God mean to Abram and what does God mean to us? But get this, if our heavenly father is good and he loves us, and he is our provider and our protector, there is a blessing that comes when we place our lives under the hand of a loving, caring, faithful God. There's a blessing there. And God, really the implication of the scripture in Abram's life, if you will place your life and you will be obedient and you will walk in the ways that I tell you to walk, then God said, I'm going to bring you a blessing. And there's something that we're going to come to the end of Zechariah 8 that we're going to have to cover quickly this morning to get to that end because there's such a powerful statement. God said, not only will I bless you, but through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And actually, we sit as Gentiles, non-Jews today in Huntington, Texas, as an expression of that, that God, through Abram and ultimately his son, Jesus Christ, who came in that lineage, who then became the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of not just the Jews, but of the world, that then when the Spirit came and sent the, the first believers out, that they went into all the world. And we are an expression of that. 2,000 years later, we are part of the families of the world that have been blessed. That is part of the blessing. The blessing includes people, land. The covenant includes people, land, but also blessing. Um, Zechariah chapter 8. I'm going to read this and we're going to cover this quickly today and I want to give you this framework that's going to help us to cover this quickly uh, this morning. Uh, our big truth in our study in Zechariah is that our present obedience projects into the future and is amplified for God's glory. When, when I read Zechariah 8... And I'd started studying and I said, what in the world is this about? Boom, this book popped in my brain. And I said, wait a second. You know what this is? You know what Zechariah 8 is? It is God picturing a special future. And we've kind of, for seven chapters, we've been in this, this place where God's been speaking to the people in the midst of their labor of rebuilding the temple, and God's saying, I need you to be obedient, and he's sending us word of how to encourage us in the midst of that work that he's given us. But all of a sudden, you come to chapter 8, and God begins to say, if you will be obedient in the midst of this, he said, I want you to know that what's coming in the future is going to be a statement of the blessing of God. And in Zechariah 8, there are 10 statements. This is what's going to help us cover this real quickly. 
There are 10 times that the, that the scripture says, thus says the Lord of hosts. And when I read that, I went, wait a second. This is like, this is like the father saying, there's something I want to say to you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. These are all things I want to say to you. I am, he is bestowing the blessing. He is attaching high value. But mostly in Zechariah 8, he is picturing the future. He is telling the people in the midst of their toil of rebuilding the temple, he says, if you will be faithful in the midst of that, I want you to know, man, there's something really good that's coming. We need to do that. The reason we need to do that is because the Heavenly Father does that. Sometimes in the midst of our daily grind, we just need to know there's something better that's coming. Ten things, ten times. You're going to have to listen quickly this morning. We're going to cover these. So he says in verse 1, again, the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, here's the first one, verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, this is number one. I'll probably hold up my fingers for the rest of the sermon, okay? It's going to require two hands here in just a minute, okay? That's going to be impressive. Verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal. With great fervor, I am zealous for her. That's a lot of zeal. I know it's like one little sentence or two sentences and all of a sudden it's got three zeals and a great fervor in it. God's like saying, no, I, I want you to know today I'm passionate about you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate. I'm actively committed to you. I am for you. I am on your side. I think the implication in all of these is you have experienced. I'm sitting here standing with my finger up like I can't take it down. Okay, I'm going to take my finger down for just a minute. Uh, it's like God has said you've experienced the discipline of God. But now I want you to see the passionate love of God. And, and here's, here's where we come down. It's the covenant falls two ways. If you're disobedient, yes, there's discipline of God. But if you're obedient, there is a blessing of God. And God says, I am so passionate about and actively committed to you. Uh, you have experienced my discipline. Now you will experience my covenant love. Verse 2, the second time. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. God says, I will be with you. And I'm going to change the reputation of your city. Jerusalem has been known for its devastation. Actually, it's rebellion against God. But God says, I'm projecting into the future. I'm going to turn your fortunes around so that Jerusalem is no longer called the place of desolation, of destruction, of disobedience, but it shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Verse 4, number 3. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its street. Each one of these, there is a reversal of the discipline of God to the blessing of God. And part of the 
the discipline of God was that those and the youngest and the oldest were most affected by the discipline of God and suffered in those circumstances in the days of siege and when they were taken into exile and even the people that came back were probably middle-aged and the society did not have that symbol of of stability and health and prosperity in that there were all ages but he says the day's going to come in Jerusalem that you're going to see the old people walking on canes and you're going to see young boys and girls playing in the streets it's a statement of their future that someday God will reverse Uh, their fortunes verse 6 number 4 thus says the Lord of hosts if it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days will it also be marvelous in my eyes says the Lord of hosts God saying if you're if you're amazed that I'm saying these things in in the midst of all of the the rubble of your present life you can't see that if it is marvelous in your eyes, God's saying, do you think it looks marvelous in my eyes? Is this guy, am I going to stand back someday when I bring all this about and go, wow, that was amazing. God's going to go, no, that's just the way I do things. Kind of the implication, it's like, no, it's not, not going to be, uh, it's not going to be marvelous in my eyes. It's a statement, number four, of God's going to replace a spirit of pessimism with the spirit of optimism because there is nothing too hard for God. Verse 7, number 5, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. In the discipline of God, the people were scattered. God wants to know that someday God's going to bring everybody back. This place is going to be filled with people because God is going to reverse that. God's going to bring the people back from the east and from the west wherever they have been scattered. Number six, verse nine. Thus says the Lord of hosts, and this is kind of a long one, let your hands be strong, you who have been hearing in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets who spoke in the day of the the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord of hosts that the temple might be built. For before these days, there were no wages for man, nor any hire for beast. There was no peace from the enemy for whoever went out or came in. Uh, For I set all men, everyone, against his neighbor. He's saying, you remember that the economy was down? that there was, there was opposition from the outside? But notice the transition in verse 11. He says, but now... I will. And so he projects it into the future. He's going to change their fortunes. But now I will treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, says the Lord of hosts. And he talks about how the blessing of God will come, even in a material sense. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give her their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these And it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. God encourages them with a word that even though things have been bad in the past, 
God is changing their fortunes, and God is even bringing material blessing and peace with the nations that are around them. Let me say at this point uh, that I, I don't believe in a prosperity gospel. I don't. I don't believe you serve God to get things from God. I don't think God is a vending machine. If you put in the right stuff, he's going to give you the right stuff. But with that being said, if disobedience to God brings a curse and the discipline of God, we have to believe that obedience to God and faithfulness to God brings the blessing of God. Do we do it in order to get that? No, I think your, your motivation's wrong. But Daryl Smith's not bright. But I discovered years ago, it's really simpler in, in life for me just to do it God's way. I don't need all the drama. I don't need all of that. That's too much work. So I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree, but I figured that out. Now, that's not to say that we eliminate everything bad that happens in our world. But I think there are some things that we eliminate because we just walk with God and we do His stuff. I have to believe that obedience to God brings the blessing of God, and sometimes that's even material. With that being said, we move on to whatever it is. Number seven, verse 14. For thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent. So again, in these days, here's the phrase I want you to get from this number seven. I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment to your gates for truth justice and peace let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor and do not love a false oath for all these are the things that I hate says the Lord of hosts God at number seven says I am committed to your good Paul would say if God is for us who can be against us and if we established a relationship with God through Christ Jesus, surrendering our lives to him and placing our lives and saying, I can't do it, but God, you're going to do it. You can do it. And we surrender our lives, which not only dictates our eternal salvation, but in the here and now, we surrender our lives to live for God. Then we put ourselves in a covenant relationship with God and God says, I'm for you. I'm here to show my blessing for you, whether that's material, and I think primarily, though, it is, it is a spiritual blessing. Number eight, verse 18, Then the word of the, the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, which we saw last Sunday, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the, the tenth, shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feast for the house of Judah therefore love truth and peace 
God says because you've been through the discipline of God, all your fasting is about things that you mourn over that God has done in your past. God's saying, I'm going I'm to do a work in your life so that your fast become feast. Instead of mourning, you're going to be celebrating. And it's not going to be about looking at the past of what God has done uh, in, in, a, in a disciplinary sense, but it's going to be what God has blessed you with in the here and now. Uh, number nine, uh, verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us continue and go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and pray before the Lord. God will so change their fortunes that the nations who came as arms of the discipline of God will be the very people who come seeking their God. Peoples from all over the world will come. The Gentiles. God will completely reverse their position in the world. And then finally, number 10. I wanted to preach a whole sermon just on verse 23, but I got about five minutes to preach that sermon. This is number 10. The final statement the Heavenly Father makes in picturing a special future. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, that is, that is a phrase that is used in, uh, it pictures the future. In those days, there is a day that is coming. Ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. As the people were, re were rebuilding the temple and the economy was shot and the peoples of the land opposed them and even their kingdom, the Persian Empire, <laughs> politics had turned against them. Zechariah 8, the Heavenly Father says, if you'll just walk in obedience, There's something really good that's coming. And everything that was taken from you by the discipline of God will be restored. And God is going to do an amazing thing. And I love this last picture. The Jewish pilgrims coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the works of God. And I just I see these robes. And it's like the people grabbing their robes and saying, can we go with you? Can we go with you? And in verse 23, it's that last phrase, why? Because we see that God is with you. 
if I had to summarize one phrase that speaks to what it means to live in the blessing of God, it would be that phrase, God is with you. Whatever it is about you, God is with you. And I need that. I want that. And wherever you go, and I want to go with you. And would you show me? Would you show me that? Because I want to experience. And so I think, even though I know I've alluded to the material blessing of God, I believe, first and foremost, the blessing of God is, a, is something that's spiritual. It is the sense that God is with us, that God's hand is upon us, and it makes all the difference. God promised that He would bless them, that He would be with them. And that presence of God, that hand of God on their lives would make all the difference. When I read that this week, I thought back to Genesis 12, in which God says to Abram, not only am I going to give you a, a people, a great nation, and a land, the land of Canaan, and not only will I bless you, and not only will I not only bless you, but I will curse those who curse you, but it was that last phrase in the covenant statement that God makes to Abram, and through you all the families of the world will be blessed. Man, and I, I saw that in Zechariah 8.23. That ten people from every language of the world will grab the sleeve of a Jewish man and say, take us with you because we know that God is with you. And ultimately, we as believers in Jesus Christ, who is a Jewish Messiah, we are the fulfillment, partly, of the people of God. Obviously, God also has a plan for the Jewish people. But what I love about Zechariah 8, it's a message of hope. On the parenting side, you've got to project hope to your kids in the midst of the muck of their lives and they're searching for so much to figure out what life is about and who they are. Obviously, tell them of, of Christ. But be a person of hope to say, man, as you, you live, you don't have to say man to them, but whatever you say to them, child, live for Christ. It's the greatest life you can live. If you'll live it out, you'll see the hand of God on your life. It won't, it won't always mean that we won't suffer loss. There's not difficulty and things come and people get sick and all those things. We lose jobs. And, and yes, all of that. But let me tell you, the greatest blessing in this life would be that the hand of God, that God was with you. And he'll see you through. And obviously that projects on that our greatest hope is that someday that God will take us to a world that is beyond this world, to a place that is perfect in all things that have been lost or restored. 
So ultimately, the message of hope projects to eternity. In the midst of your present obedience, God encourages you to stay at your present work. But our Heavenly Father pictures the future blessing of walking with Him. I would say that to you today, whatever you find yourself in, uh, that if you're in that covenant relationship with God, God says there's something good that's coming. Don't, don't despair. The Heavenly Father speaks those words. You know, I, di- I didn't say this, but there's ten statements in in chapter 8, and 10 is one of those scriptural numbers that speaks of completion. 7, obviously, is another one of those, but 10. So it's 10 statements. And then it's 10 men who grab the sleeves of the Jewish man to say, come and take with us. It speaks of that com- completion. Uh, but God speaks those words to us today. But here's where it hits me. And it was true for for Abraham. It was true for the people in Zechariah's day. Uh, God doesn't bless my life just to bless my life. God blesses my life that I might bless others. Uh, I I was blessed to have a father who bestowed that blessing on me. I've done the best I can to bestow that blessing on my kids. Some of them sitting here today who better bless their kids. Our Papa D's going to be on them like white on rice all day long. You can't stop him. And it better go on and on. And it all stems from a heavenly father who established a covenant relationship with us through Jesus Christ that wants us to be encouraged now. If you'll walk with me, man, it's going to be good. Just stay to the task. Amen? If you say amen, I'll be done. Amen? Amen. Uh, I'm going to pray. Brother Shane's coming even now. Um, I'm going to pray. If you'll stand with me. Just remain standing after the prayer. This song is a hymn of, or a song of response for you to respond in your heart before God. You can also come to the altar. After this song is over, Byron and Will and I will be at the front if you'd like to visit with us. Um, and um, at the end of this song we actually will take a short break and we have a family conference very brief family conference we need to vote on some new members it's really the only business we have and so uh, we'll, but we'll take just a two minute break after this song so Father we thank you for um, taking the initiative uh, to seek for us like that one sheep that was lost among the hundred. 
And Father, we thank you that you sent your son to pay the price for us to be restored to you. And Father, we just thank you for your faithfulness, your love, your pursuit of us. We thank you for your discipline in our life. That Father turned us around and turned us back to you. And I pray that we would just be encouraged today in the hope that we have, knowing that God is for us. <laughs> what difference does it make who's against us? And Father, we just thank you that nothing will ever separate us from the love that we find in Christ Jesus. And so we thank you for that. Pray that you'd encourage us and we would walk in it, we would live it this day forward. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.